0: You're listening to the On the DL podcast, the official podcast of the Temple ISD Digital Learning Department. I'm your host, John Woodward, and I am pleased to have you aboard for today's episode with educator, author, speaker, Matt Miller. Matt is an author, teacher, and speaker that has a passion to equip teachers to thrive in this new era of education and think differently about the craft of teaching. He has spent more than a decade in the classroom creating unique learning experiences for his students through technology and creative teaching. He is the author of such books as Ditch That Textbook, Tech Like a Pirate, Ditch That Homework, and Don't Ditch That Tech. He also writes a terrific blog that can be found at ditchthattextbook.com. Matt is a Google-certified innovator and has been named one of the top 10 influencers in educational technology and e-learning worldwide. He provides practical, use-it-in-class-tomorrow solutions to teachers' classroom needs, while also helping them focus on what's most important to keep education relevant. Let's go on the DL with Matt Miller. Well, I am on the deal here with Matt Miller. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I've got Matt Miller on the show, and it's pretty cool. Um, you know, here's my brush with greatness story with in regards to you, Matt. Is I think the first time I ever went to TCEA, you were doing um, a a promo working with I think maybe ViewSonic.
1: Yeah, that's and you right. were
0: running through it. And you were handing out copies of your, you know, your, your new book, Ditch That Textbook. Uh-huh. And you signed the book and everything. And I was like, you know, I wasn't thinking one day I'm going to have a podcast and have him on that. But I definitely thought, you know, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to this guy again. Yeah. Uh, so thankfully, you haven't written a, a book called Ditch That Podcast where, where you don't go on podcasts or something.
1: No, nope, no. Nope. I mean, I've been I've been the the host or co host of enough podcasts and have been on enough of them that I'd be a pretty big hypocrite if I did something like that. So, <laughs> no. Thankfully, we haven't had to do that, and I'm I'm thrilled to get to chat with you again. I'm glad that this all worked out. Our little twisting, winding road to getting where we are today.
0: Well, you know, it is what it is, and uh, everybody's got schedules that are sending them in different directions. Uh, you know, you included, and so. You know, just happy we were able to chisel out of time, and it worked for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, me too, absolutely.
0: So Matt's coming to us uh, from up there, the great state of Indiana. Which, which part of Indiana again?
1: I'm west central Indiana. If you start in Indianapolis and drive due west towards the Illinois state line, that's pretty close to that's pretty close to where I am. Out in the middle of nowhere, live on 25 acres. There's like one or two neighbors in a one mile radius of my house, so it's pretty quiet out here.
0: Not a, not a bad situation. Twenty five acres, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's,
1: yeah. There's there's lots of space out here, that's for sure.
0: Well, it, uh, I've been up to to Indiana once, and uh, went down. It was down in Bloomington, which is of course what just just south of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and uh, there are parts of Indiana that reminds me. A lot of Texas.
1: Oh yeah, me too. I've I've been to a variety of different parts of Texas at this point, and there are places where I'll go, man, this really does feel an awful lot like home. But the the crazy thing about Texas is you get a little bit of everything in that great big state, and so you go to different parts, and you're like, wow, this feels like a whole different country in some ways.
0: Yeah, and when we were up there, you know, my son was touring law schools, so we were in in Bloomington. And then you you go a direction an hour and you might be out of the state and that's something I'm not used to because you can drive seven or eight hours and and still be well within the borders of Texas so yes. uh, it's it's definitely a a little bit geographically uh, a shock to the system when I, when we leave the state so
1: yeah absolutely you
0: know. well Matt you know I think there are so many people that. Are aware of you and what you what you do and kind of, but tell us a little bit of your your origin story, a little mm-hmm. bit about for those who may not be as familiar uh, about kind of how you got where you are and and kind of what has brought you to where you are today.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I wasn't the traditional. A college kid that, you know, goes to school and says, I'm going to major in education and then does that for four years, graduates, goes straight out into a school. Um, I was a journalism major in college and I thought that I was going to be a, like a newspaper reporter or a newspaper editor. And so, uh, you know, I did all the things I was supposed to do. I got internships. I got part time jobs. I got lots of practice, got out into the real world, started being a journalist And I hated it (laughs) like I was covering uh, county government, you know, like county politics. It was terrible. And uh, my my professional journalism career lasted a grand total of three months before I went back to school because I realized that what I loved about journalism was coaching other writers on their writing. I was like, well, that's teaching. And my wife was a, a middle school social studies teacher. And whenever I hung out in her classroom, something just felt right about that. So I went back to school, uh, got, my, uh, got my credential. Uh, I was only in, I had only gone back to college uh, about nine months or so before a position opened up at a school right near me. And so I was on an emergency permit, didn't quite have my credential at that point, and started teaching high school Spanish. And so I kept that job. Uh, for several, several years and uh, early on, I was teaching real traditionally, you know, teach by the textbook, sure. workbooks, worksheets, you know, like the whole nine yards until I started to develop, uh, started to develop this secret that my students knew that my, uh, no, but my, uh, my fellow teachers didn't know, my principal didn't know, but the students all knew this secret. And the secret was that the students in my high school Spanish classes couldn't speak Spanish just kind of a problem you know if you're trying to if you're trying yeah. to Spanish so mm-hmm. um, I just started trying so I, I mean I thought well babies can learn a new language and they don't have to do verb conjugation drills and like there, there's got to be a better way so I just started trying stuff um, and so what I was doing with my textbooks if that wasn't working I just tried to new tried new things so every time I tried something new I was kind of like ditching the textbook for that day or for that activity. And so little by little by little, I quit teaching straight out of my textbooks and started trying other things that were, you know, creative or fun or engaging or that use technology or whatever to the point that I just didn't need my textbooks anymore. I, I mean, I was still teaching from my um, from my uh, content standards and, you know, the the curriculum and the scope and sequence and everything. I just wasn't doing the stuff that the textbook told me or given me the, the, um, the activities and stuff. And so little by little uh, I started teaching more and more like that, started writing a blog about some of the things that I was doing to share some of the things that worked and some of the things that didn't work. (laughs) I shared some of the blow up moments, some too. And um, you know, little by little after that um, you know, the, the whole ditch that textbook thing started growing and you know, now I've written six books uh, we've got more than 700 blog posts on the Ditch That Textbook website, which I've been uh, publishing on for more than 10 years now. And so here we are. That's that's kind of where we got to where we are today.
0: Wow. And and did you have any idea between the blog and and writing the book, which was published, is that published through Dave Burgess's publishing? Yes,
1: yeah, through Dave Burgess Consulting, yep.
0: Right. Did you have any idea what things would take off? 10 years later and you'd be sitting doing what you're doing today.
1: No, no way. I, uh, I remember for those first couple of years when I was, um, when I was publishing posts on my blog, I'd been doing it for, you know, a year, year and a half, two years at that point. I was like, man, is this thing ever going to take off? Like, is anybody going to ever notice? And then like little by little, I just kept showing up and just kept kind of like bringing my best that I could every week you know, on a, on a regular basis and, and things slowly took off. Makes me think of, um, I've listened to Dave Ramsey a lot over, over time and he keeps talking about the best way uh, to become an overnight success is for it to happen years and years and years. You know, like <laughs> nobody really becomes an overnight success, you know. So that's, that's kind of the way I feel that it's been with all of this ditch that textbook stuff is just showing up and trying to help teachers and provide value for them, you know, year after year after year.
0: Well, you know, as you know, speaking from from my vantage point and and what I think speaks for probably a lot of other people, you've done just that. So, yeah. uh, all of us who have benefited from from you sharing not only the good things but the the trouble spots, yeah. which are just as valuable, um, you know, that's a big thank you coming your way for for all you've done for educators out there as an educator. Yeah,
1: um, my pleasure. I and I enjoy the process. You know, I was you know, like I told you, I was a journalism major. I kind of like to write, so you know, this lets me scratch that itch just a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's always interesting when it comes to education, the the road that that people take, and it and it's generally and it's often not a a, a straight path. It's mm-hmm. kind of a windy road with yes. some uh, some hills and valleys and unexpected turns. So. Well, let me, let me skip to a little bit to a, a, a current issue, uh, and that's AI. Um, at TCEA, you know, our big conference down in Texas, you presented with Holly Clark, kind of regarding the implications of AI in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a brand new book uh, on, you know, AI in the classroom. And let's see if I can get this without. There you go. So there's a little deal AI for educators. Yeah, there you go. That's out. And, you know, you can get it through ditch that textbook.com, Amazon, I'm assuming. Um, But the question is, I, I think it's fair to say at this time, the idea of AI is, is both intriguing and daunting to teachers. Yes. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, It's an exciting new thing, but it's also one where you're like, well, wait a minute. So it's kind of a two part question here. And so I'll, I'll ask them one at a time. What are, what are some ways teachers can use AI to their advantage? And then I'll just go ahead and give you the second question, but at the same time, how do they, the second question is how do educators ensure academic integrity um because ai is becoming really so accessible yeah. so it's it's really that that balance yeah. so how how can they how can they use it to their advantage looking at the bright side um and you uh, have did a great podcast with dave burgess on his show regarding this very thing but then also how do, how do they ensure academic integrity
1: yeah, um, this and what you said about how it be, how it's kind of like intriguing and daunting, like exciting and kind of scary all at the same time, and really, it should be. Um, it kind of I think hit a lot of us by surprise when ChatGPT came out when uh, it was released at the end of November. Um, yep, because it was it was kind of like the first like human face on artificial intelligence that actually sounded and felt human at least to me it was that way and pretty quickly once i started using it all you've got to do if, if someone watching or listening to this hasn't used it you know you go to the chat gpt website you just do a google search and you can find it and you just start um asking it questions and it's trained on this huge 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 data set of all sorts of um you know things that are published on the internet that are published in books and published on all sorts of different resources. And ChatGPT has trained itself on all of that data. So it has analyzed the data. It has gone through it. It's looking for patterns. It's looking for things that are consistent over multiple resources so that it can understand how humans interact. That's why it sounds so much like us because it's learned through lots and lots Mm -hmm. of examples how we communicate. But it's also trying to learn... You know, through that through that data set, what are some commonalities that it sees? What are patterns that it sees, uh, so that it can know how that information works together, so to speak? And so, um, you know, one of the one of the exciting things about it, I think, is that you know, I really believe that AI can help teachers to get more of the what I would call the most precious currency that we have. And that currency is time, you know, that it, mm-hmm. it, will, it will potentially give teachers more time. Because we, we think about, you know, we as educators are, you know, usually overburdened, uh, overworked, we're tired. We have more things on our to-do list than we can do. And everywhere I go, you know, if I go do a workshop at a school or if I do a, do a keynote speech at a conference, if I'm just talking to teachers at like my wife's school, um, it's always, 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 I if I had more time, I would do this. If I had more time, I would do that. And so if, if teachers are going to make the most of this, um, I think it's going to be freeing themselves of things that are drudgery or that are repetitive or that really... Aren't what make human teachers special and human? If we can outsource some of that stuff to get to the important stuff that does make us, you know, that, that does make us special as human teachers, those those are the things that we can do. So, for instance, um, how can teachers use AI to their advantage? Well, for one, you can use it to help lesson plan. I mean, just ask Chat GPT know, what would a lesson plan look like for this particular topic? And the more details you give it, the better, the more specific the response is. So instead of saying, you know, how can I uh, teach about the Peloponnesian War? Let's get more specific and say, how would I teach seventh graders about uh, the unique differences between Athens and Sparta in the Peloponnesian War? And so then it starts to give you some specifics Again, based on all of those resources that are out there. Now, what it won't do is it won't replace our need for human teachers. But what it will do is create a really good first draft for you. And you can take that first draft and you can decide, oh, I really like this part. Oh, this part right here is completely lacking. So I need to add more details about that. Oh, I know my students and I know what they need. And so I need to adjust this part for their particular ability level. And see if it can do that, if it can take our lesson plans and give us the first draft, if it's something that takes us 20 minutes, and now it only takes us eight, now we've saved 12 minutes to do something else and to repurpose that time. So it can help us write lesson plans. It can give us discussion questions, practice questions. Um, You can even plug a rubric into it and ask it to provide feedback on student work. You basically just tell it ahead of time, I want you to help me grade student work. Here's the rubric that I'm using, do you understand? And it'll say, yep, give me the first student work. And then you copy and paste it in there and it gives you feedback. Um, Can help you answer emails. I mean, just watching what teachers are asking it to do to help free them up has been kind of incredible. So really I think what we're not trying to do is replace human teachers. What we're trying to do is outsource the things that don't make us special as human teachers so that we can put more time and effort into the things that do make us um, special as human teachers. And maybe, maybe even get out the door a little bit faster to go home for what matters most.
0: Yeah, what I hear you saying is, is using it to accentuate the best of the human teacher. So that that bring that to the forefront, uh, that is often buried beneath a lot of other stuff. That is, you know, it, it would be nice if it was lifted off the plate, if you will.
1: Yes, I, I think that's exactly what it can do. And I mean, when we start to think for those of us that are a little bit nervous about it, and you know, with artificial intelligence, there are concerns and there are things that we have to be cautious about. I think a healthy dose of skepticism and optim- optimism is good. But if we want to go on the optimistic side, and we start to go, what are the things that we wish we could take off our plate? If I had a teaching assistant that could do some of the routine mundane things for me, so I could focus on what what's special about me, if we, if we would think of it through the, that lens, we really are starting to get that teaching assistant through some of these AI
0: assistants. A great that's a great point, and you're you know the the big advantage really, we're talking about the huge commodity of time, which is priceless to teachers. Uh, I think that's a great way to to approach that and and will resonate I think I think uh, that's something every teacher can identify with. having, having said that, what do you, what do you think in regards to the academic integrity part? Because I was introduced through to chat GPT by uh, a a teacher that sent me something going, Hey, have you heard about this? Had no clue what it was. And I think it was really out of a a real concern Mm -hmm. of look what, you know, this can do, you know? And so speaking for, you know, speak to teachers in regards to the, to the other side of it where you do have to worry about the academic integrity and how can they how can they do that
1: yeah and you know i think when for for those of us teachers that have seen what some of these ai assistants can do we might have thought about that you know teacher time saver part that i just identified but probably more more likely we started thinking about what happens if students get their hands on this technology you know, if, they, if they're using AI assistants, are they going to be able to, you know, use it to write essays for them? Are they going to be able to use it to summarize texts and, you know, do, do all this stuff? And I think, I mean, the very real answer is yes. Yes, they, they can use it to do those things. And ChatGPT, as of the recording right now, has a free version that will do it and will do it pretty well. So I think we have to just confront that reality right away that yes, students can plug a prompt into artificial intelligence and get a response. Now that reality right there, I think is going to cause a shift in how we teach and how we learn in the classroom going forward. Um, In my book that you referenced, John, um, my book AI for Educators Mm-hmm. Uh, I make a, a distinction that I think is important here. And I promise I'm going to get to the academic integrity oh, uh, good? question. We're really sort of getting at it right now. But oh, yeah. um, whenever we look at some of the realities that, yes, AI can you know do some of these assignments for students. And when we look at the other reality that, yes, I think going forward, we have to, start to recognize the fact that AI may have potentially touched every single thing that students hand into us going forward. Like we have to start to accept those realities, but we also have to look at it with the right perspective too, I think, because we want to prepare kids for their future. Right. And not our present, not our future because our future is today and we've gotten here, but students, their future is going to look a lot different. And if this AI, let's, let's think for example, about a student that's 10 years old right now, 10 years old going through elementary school and in eight years, they're gonna graduate from high school. The chat GPT that we're using right now is going to be such an outdated artificial intelligence in eight years, because AI will be eight years more sophisticated by the time that student graduates high school. Give them another four years. Now we're 12 years into the future and they're graduating from college, assuming that college looks the same in eight to 12 years. And so in 12 years, artificial intelligence, as we understand it now, will have become 12 years stronger and smarter and more mature. What does that world look like? And see, I think if we look at the way that the world is today, what we're doing is we're looking at the world through today glasses. And th- this is this is an analogy that I use in my book. And when we look at it through today glasses, we like doing that because it's rooted in what feels like fact, lived experiences that we can look back on, um, you know, best practices that we can lean on, um, data, you know, concrete, hard fact. But the problem is that, we need to prepare kids for tomorrow. And what we need to do is we need to put on our tomorrow glasses instead. We need to teach with our tomorrow glasses. And what that means is we need to start looking at what that world is gonna look like for that 10 year old kid when he or she turns 22, 23 years old and gets out into the workforce. And are the skills that we're teaching them with right now going to serve them? Well, I think the answer to that question is yes, some of them will but some of them will not. And so we need to start to identify what that kid is going to need in four years, eight years, 12 years into the future. We need to teach with our tomorrow glasses. And the problem with teaching with our tomorrow glasses is that it's messy and it's imprecise and it deals in predictions and prognostications and trying to tell the future. And we're going to have to make some guesses on that. We're we're gonna have to be prepared to be wrong when we do that, but we have to be ready to try to prepare kids for that future. Okay, so now that that's all sort of, the the groundwork is all laid there, I think we can start to look at academic integrity a little bit because with that future, AI is going to be there, you know? It's like we were talking about with um, lesson plans, what if, le- what if lesson plans, we get our first draft of our lesson plans, and then we adjust it as necessary? If that's going to be the future of work, then maybe we need to start preparing kids for that. And I think that that term academic integrity is going to morph and change over time. The more that we get comfortable and familiar with artificial intelligence and the more that it starts to assimilate itself into, um, into the real world. So yeah academic integrity this is like a whole complicated thing but i think what we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we're looking at it through the right lens we got to be willing to look at what's the kind of work that we need to prepare kids for in the future this is this has been a little bit vague and a little bit general this answer to your question but i think that it's an important mindset that we've got to start to adopt
0: I, th- I think you, you, you've you hit on in something that's very valuable. And, and the honest answer, it seems like, is we don't know right yes. now. There's so many things we don't know. And I think, you know, the, the big point I, I see coming out of what you're saying is I think it is valuable to look at it from the standpoint of students and where they're coming from, where they might be, and understanding the technology before we really can make good decisions on what to do with it and be ready to be flexible because it's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, you know, it's, it is going to um, evolve and grow. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think just be ready to pivot and be ready to, but understanding it and viewing it through the, the lens. I think that was a great analogy you gave of, looking through the right glasses uh we can't we can't look at it of where they are now we got to look at it as where these kids are going to be yeah
1: and john if i can throw one more little thing into this conversation this is whenever i whenever i present on this at conferences this particular example always seems to resonate maybe the folks that are listening and watching here maybe this will help it to get kind of concrete um because a lot of times folks are talking about cheating. You know, They don't want kids to use AI to cheat. Right. And I think sometimes we get sort of a binary black and white type of view of how AI is gonna be used. But the reality is that they can use some of these AI tools in productive ways too. And so we have to be, we have to start to be kind of clear and ask ourselves, what is okay and what isn't okay? when it comes to um, using artificial intelligence. I've got this graphic that I put on a slide. I'm gonna to try to describe it for you real quickly. Um, it's kind of like a spectrum, like an arrow pointing up and down. And up at the top is um, student work that's done completely by artificial intelligence, like no student thinking whatsoever. And at the bottom is student work that's done with no artificial intelligence, no use of the internet whatsoever. And I start giving a bunch of examples of different things on this spectrum. And I keep asking the question, which of these would you consider cheating? Because using artificial intelligence in and of itself, isn't just, isn't, you know, a blanket that, that students are cheating. For instance, right. like Grammarly uses artificial intelligence, spellcheck and grammar check use artificial intelligence. So, you know, we've been using them for a little while. So um, let me give you a couple of examples on that spectrum. And then I'll just ask your, your, your viewers and your listeners, which of these would you consider cheating? Because everybody's going to have to have, you're, we're going to have to figure out what's acceptable and what's not. And we're also going to have to communicate what's, what's, what's okay to students. So you start at the top of that spectrum, completely done by artificial intelligence. Let's say we give students a prompt uh, of something to write about they plug it into ChatGPT, they get an essay, spit back out, they copy that essay, stick it in a document, submit it to the teacher. Student doesn't even have to think. And I would ask, is that cheating? Well, I think we can safely say that's not what we want students to do. So let's go down to the bottom of that spectrum completely student done, completely done by the student. Let's say we give students a prompt of what we want them to write about. And then they write the whole thing without consulting artificial intelligence or the internet and submit it. Is that cheating? Well, I don't think we would say that it's cheating but I also don't think that it's very authentic and relevant to the kind of work that they're gonna be doing in the future, in their own future. So maybe that's not exactly what we want either. So the answer is somewhere in the middle. So what if you know, we go to another place on this spectrum where you know, we're going up, up toward the um, created by artificial intelligence side? What if the um, student creates three versions of the essay? They pick and choose their favorite parts out of it, adjust it and edit it as necessary and then submit it. Is that cheating? Well, there's definitely more thinking going on with that. Let's go down the spectrum a little bit, a little more towards the human created side of things. What if the student creates kind of like a list of bullet points and they ask the artificial intelligence to create a draft for them? They edit it and adjust it as necessary and then submit that. Is that cheating? Um, What if they consult the artificial intelligence for ideas and then they make the draft themselves, but a lot of the, some of the ideas they got from artificial intelligence. You see how it's kind of like, there's there's like this, all of this gray area in the middle, and we need to be having conversations about that gray area and saying, what is it that we wanna encourage kids to do? What is it we wanna discourage? And we have to make sure that we're making those judgments using our tomorrow glasses, making sure that we're preparing kids for that, that future, so. Sorry, I kind of ran with that for a little bit, but that's like, that's one of the big things that helps, that seems to help people understand, like, it's not just, is it cheating or isn't it cheating? There's all of this nuance in the middle.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, there is no one answer either way. Right. Um, But I, I think you, you mentioned something that I think is critical, you know, about this whole topic as we move forward is having the conversations. Yes. You know, keep having the conversations and keep talking about it. Uh, And so uh, it's a fascinating topic and it will be fascinating to see kind of where this leads us. Yes. Um, So, so moving off AI just a little bit, when you originally wrote ditch that textbook, obviously you're a huge advocate of, of going I don't know, somewhat paperless in the terms of, of letting technology drive the classroom a little more. Um, post-pandemic, has your perspective shifted in regards to balancing paper with paperless activities? And how can teachers maintain a balance, a good balance in regards to technology or or lack thereof?
1: Yeah, the pay, the whole paperless thing, John, I'm glad you brought that up. That's it's such an interesting conversation because there's like nothing wrong with paper per se, but it does have its limitations. And so I think that's when, especially when more and more schools were going one-to-one, you know, one device to one student. And they started asking the question, at least I hope they were asking the question, um, what can these devices do that we couldn't do with a standard textbook and with a piece of paper? And so if we need something like that, that the technology can provide, then by golly, we ought to lean on that and we ought to use it. But if there are certain things that some of our more traditional practices do better, um, you know, for instance, for even in my own life as an adult, and I was this way as a student too, if I ever just need to stop and jot a whole bunch of ideas down, I'm doing it in a notebook, you know, just because mm-hmm. that's just the, the way that, that's the way that I, I am. So I don't think that there's anything like innately wrong with paper. I do love, you know, like, you know, being able to take sketch notes, you know, like these verbal visual, oh, you know, yep. visual note-taking, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff, you can do it with technology, but it's great on paper too. Um, when you, when you bring up the post pandemic part of this too, I think that a lot of folks, and when I say folks, I'm talking about students, parents, teachers, you know, lots of people endured some trauma because of, um, uh, what we could call remote teaching and remote learning. Right. And I think it was because it was forced on us so quickly so that a lot of, a lot of people just weren't prepared to do great teaching and learning with the assistance of technology. And so they just started having to, it was almost like those those signs that say break glass in case of emergency. Right. Is that, that's kind of the way that it was. It was like, let's let's do this because this is an emergency and we have to, and we don't have any other options. And so, you know, because they hadn't been trained on it and they didn't know what the best practices were and everything, a lot of teachers just started forcing things with technology, and it wasn't a good experience. And so here we come out of the pandemic, and we've got all of these parents that are like, remote teaching is terrible, technology is terrible, devices are terrible, we should just go back to the old ways and everything. Well, it was because it wasn't, like, it wasn't designed with the learner in mind, it was designed to survive through an emergency, you know. So um, I still think that Teachers really should look at their learning goals, you know, like what is it that you want kids to do? What do you want kids to get out of this? And look at all your possibilities. And the possibilities might include, you know, the teacher standing and delivering for a little bit in front of the classroom, face to face. That's still okay if that's the tool that you need. Um, if students need to do, you know, write something down on paper, that's another option but you've also got all of these great digital tools that are out there that can do things a little differently um, that create possibilities that you didn't have with paper. And so I think we gotta accept those as possibilities too. I think whenever we start saying you should use more technology or you shouldn't use as much technology, it's kind of like, it's reducing it down to the, the, the argument way too simple. What we really want is the best outcomes for students. And if we think that technology is going to help us do that, I think we should. So I hope that's not too vague of an answer to that question. But I think that you know, sometimes sometimes we come at it from the wrong direction.
0: Yeah, and I think the, the important thing, going back to AI, coming with a balance of paper and non-technology and technology in the classroom, it all boils down to just what you said what you just said what's best for the students yeah you know and we can we can talk all day about ai we can talk all day about blended learning and Mm -hmm. blend you know but ultimately that's what we're talking about here is is what's what's best for the students and if we go with that uh using your glasses analogy if we have those glasses on uh, we're going to see things a lot more clear and make better decisions and have those discussions uh, that hopefully end up doing the right thing for the, the people we're doing this all for, which is the students. Right. So,
1: right. Exactly.
0: Speaking about teachers, um, you know, yeah, they're trying to use this time effectively once testing season is done, you know, and mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to skip to kind of the, the summer break. And if you were going to give teachers one or two things to do over the summer break to kind of recharge, help them recharge and regroup, Mm -hmm. what would you recommend for the coming to, to get ready for the coming school year? And then I'll follow that up with what would you suggest they not do? Yeah. Yeah
1: um, when, when you were, when you were leading up to that and saying, what are some, what's one or two things that they should do? One of the first things that I thought of was a not do, and that is don't think about teaching, (laughs) you know? I mean, we just spent the, the better part of what, eight months or nine months or something, thinking a lot about teaching. We're still sort of coming out of the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic and, all of the things that came with it, trying to get back to a version of life as normal and everything and, um, you know, disconnecting and getting your, your mind right and um, resting and getting a little bit of perspective on all, on just your life. That's, that's a great thing to do over a summer. Like, I think if that's the one thing that teachers accomplished over the summer, then that might be if they want to do something to better position themselves to be the best teacher that they can be, that might be the best thing. That might be the absolute best thing. Um, if you want to get you know, your, your teacher brain lined up a little bit for the coming year, I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: pick one, maybe pick one thing that you're excited about, or that you're intrigued by that you want to learn more about. And then just go focus on that one thing, you know, maybe one or two things. And um, you know for me, sometimes I get out on Twitter, for instance, or I get on social media and I'm looking at all of my you know, teacher sites and the people that I follow on on social media, and I'll see like a dozen different things and I'll go, oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, that's really neat. Oh, that intrigues me. But I don't go deep enough with any of them to do anything with it, you know? Right. So I'd say, whatever that thing is, if there's an app that you're interested in, if there's a teaching strategy, um, you know some teachers are interested in revolutionizing their grading practices, or you know like social emotional learning or wh- whatever the thing is, tech, no tech, instructional, student well being, you know whatever that one thing is, just kind of do a little deep dive on that and figure out what you need to implement it into your class, and then go do that. Um, avoid the trap that I've always fallen into, which is trying to do a dozen different things all at once. Because then I would look back afterwards and realize I haven't gotten anything out of any of those 12 things that I was looking at. Why didn't I just spend my time trying to make use of one thing and actually put it into practice?
0: Yeah. I believe we've fallen into that trap as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. I try to try to bite off too much instead of, uh, taking it, uh, focusing on one or two things. And, and I think what I'm hearing from you is just take care of you and uh, allow yourself to detach. And uh, if you dabble in it in something, then dabble in it with something that you're, you enjoy and just not, you know, cause the, the work will be there soon enough. Yeah. So
1: yes, absolutely.
0: Well, I want to, we've got just a little time left and I'm now I'm going to, we're going for the hard questions. My rapid, oh, no, those weren't the hard questions. No, the rapid fire <laughs> lightning round questions. Oh, so, man. you know, buckle up because here we go. I hope you don't mind ending on this note.
1: No, let's do it. Let's do uh,
0: it. Okay. So, and and as as host, I do reserve the right to ask for additional explanations. There's no judgment, but if, uh, you know, if you give an answer, yeah, I may I may inquire a bit further. What's your go-to lazy dinner?
1: Go-to lazy dinner. Um, Chicken and noodles in the crock pot. This is like egg noodles, uh, chicken breast, chicken broth. You just throw it all in the crock pot and let it sit throughout the day, and it's easy to do.
0: Right. Fair enough. Would you rather travel to the past or the future?
1: Both. No, that's cheating. I have to answer one. Uh, Let's say that. Let's say the future. We've been talking about AI this whole time. Like, I'm I'm curious about the future.
0: I think, yeah, I think that would help you write another book if you did that. Um, It probably would. That's true. (laughs) What's your favorite thing to do in the summertime?
1: Lots of things. I'm really into disc golf right now. My son started playing it and we're both real excited about it. So we'll go out to a disc golf course with our discs and we'll, we'll play around and that's always fun to do in the summer.
0: Disc golf. All right. What's your favorite movie genre? And then what is your favorite movie? Your favorite movie does not have to be in your favorite genre, by the way.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Um, I'm probably a sucker for a good action movie. Um, You know, sometimes you know, like I can just disconnect and mindlessly watch a movie. And um, all time, probably one of my favorite movies is Top Gun. Um, I know some people say that it's cheesy and everything, but um, I've always loved it. And then we had the new Top Gun movie come out. And I I think that I may even like the new Top Gun movie more than the original.
0: I think I might have as well. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite pizza topping?
1: Oh, Probably sausage.
0: Okay. What's the first concert you ever attended?
1: Oh my goodness, the first concert. Um
0: not trying I to. I think get I went to
1: all. a uh so there's a there's a Christian rock band called Audio Adrenaline. And I went to that, I think, in high school or college or something. That's the first one I can remember anyway.
0: All right. If you could teleport right now, where would you go?
1: Oh goodness, where would I go? um i probably i might go to the mountains like my my family and i are suckers for rocky mountain national park in colorado um i that's that's kind of like my happy place that's probably where i'd go
0: great choice finish this sentence i would do just about anything for blank
1: (laughs) is it supposed to be a klondike bar and that was but that would be a good one yeah (laughs) yeah yeah no i'm i think i'm gonna go with the uh I'm going to go with the one that probably everybody would say. I would do just about anything for my family.
0: Yeah. Can't go wrong with that answer. Mm -hmm. What one thing always seems to calm you down when you're stressed?
1: Um, I'm going to give you two things. Breathing and prayer. Like there's this technique box breathing where you breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, hold it out for four seconds. Like that helps. And then just praying about whatever I'm dealing with; those two things will do it.
0: Love it, love it. What's the lamest dessert people try to pass off as a dessert?
1: <laughs> Jello. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know what Jello is exactly, but if I if somebody gave me that and said, "Here's your dessert," I'm going to be disappointed.
0: If you, yeah, if you assign somebody desserts for a party and they bring Jello, they've got some explaining to do.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: Is, this is, this is a staple question. Is double dipping at a party ever accept, acceptable?
1: Double dipping. Oh man, you remember I was talking about um, the, all of the nuance between cheating and artificial intelligence and everything. There's a lot of nuance that goes into this question too. Like if I have a chip and I break it into two chips and I dip one side and I dip the other side, that's not double dipping to me.
0: I know, I know about the by the textbook definition, no, it's not.
1: Right, exactly. If your mouth has touched the chip and it goes back in the dip, that is unacceptable. Okay. So I'd say no, it's okay. not ever acceptable.
0: All right. You've, I think you've covered yourself on that one. Um, I was going to say uh, this last question is if you had your own show. Well, you've got your own show because you do the mm-hmm. digital learning podcast with with yeah. Holly Clark. Um, if you were doing an interview with me, what is one question you might ask?
1: Oh, man. Um. okay, so my one question for you would be, um, if you're going to try to persuade me to move from Indiana to Texas, how would you do it?
0: Make sure your AC is working, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, it is, you know, one of the slogans for, for coming to Texas is it's a whole other country, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we've got We've got low taxes, we've got plenty of space, uh, we've got friendly people, and um, we're a, uh, a nice place if you get a little tired of of the cold and the snow, mm. uh, a little respite from that, um, yeah. and there's never a dull moment. We like things big down here, and uh, the more the merrier in terms of, of bringing here. We love Texans are very proud of showing off their state and very proud of being one thing, which is Texans. Um, and so there's a lot of pride. And so, uh, we would, we'd love to, to have you join the, to join the group and be able to call yourself a Texan.
1: You know, I've been to a variety of different parts of Texas and I've always told, I've always told my wife, if we had to move out of Indiana, Texas is probably in my top three of places just because of the, the people and the, the different things and, you know, the, the pride and everything. Like I've, I've always thought that would be a good place to
0: live. Uh, it's a great place. I'm a little biased uh, as as you are <laughs> probably too, with with Indiana, uh, you know, I would say in fairness, you know, make sure the AC is working in your car and and <laughs> things like that. Uh, just like you would make sure I had a snowblower or something moving right. up north. Uh, yep. Just things like that to be smart. But uh, I think if you ever chose to move down here, you wouldn't regret it. I believe it. All right. Matt Miller, you have been on the DL. Uh, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks, John. I've had a great time.
0: All right. And I uh, hope, hope to have you back on soon one day. Sounds great. You've been listening to the On the DL podcast, the official podcast of the Temple ISD digital learning department. Please subscribe in whichever podcast platform you're listening on so that you can be made aware when future episodes drop.